Dean and Taylor coming back at you for the Constant Quest podcast. This is episode one. Good to be back with you guys again. Uh, for episode one, we wanted to give you guys some intros as to who we are as people. Um, what are the events that kind of shaped us growing up? Um, and then after that, maybe just some trials and tribulations and really formative experiences that we've been through in our lives that just to kind of share that and throw that out there. But I will say going back, man, to, to episode zero that we filmed, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now up at your cabins. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that was kind of a lesson for me as well. I think we got into a little bit of analysis paralysis of how are we going to launch a podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, is this going to be right? Are people going to like it? And eventually, you know, we just kind of said, hey, we need to just put it out there and do it. Yeah. And it felt really good. I don't know if you felt the same way, but. Yeah, felt pretty similar. I mean, I think in some ways I'm still wondering how we're going to launch a podcast, but the, I think the, the key component there was to do something, get started. We've we've already upgraded a little bit uh, with our equipment and the the way that I'm hopefully going to edit it and everything. I mean, it was just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, which is awesome because you got to start somewhere, sometime. So from here, we'll figure out hopefully how to get it published it, it shouldn't be rocket science since there's yeah. a million of them out there so but yeah i do feel like that i mean it was cool to get it started and i think i mean we've talked probably four or five times since then about how it went and just just kind of excited to be doing something new and different and something we weren't really maybe as familiar with it's it's out of our comfort zone so i i feel the same way glad to finally get it going yeah no exactly don't let in don't let perf- don't let perfection be the enemy of good right and also, all the stuff you mentioned, I feel like it's putting our money where our mouth is and talking about getting out of your comfort zone. It's like, well, here's here's the greatest example of that with us starting a podcast. Um, but yeah, so coming back to this episode, you know, we wanted to to do some intros. I think different people who might listen to this know us at different points in our lives, right? There might be some of your friends who knew you growing up. Other friends like myself knew you more when you were already in your 30s. So even for me, it's really interesting to get other, to kind of fill in gaps that I might not have been aware of. So with that, I think the first thing I wanted to just hit you with was tell me a little bit about like, you know, your childhood and growing up and some experiences there that you feel like could help shape you. Yeah, sure. I think before I hit that, just to pile on what you just said about the getting to know us part, and you touched on this a little bit last time, there's so many things that make us who we are, right? And, And I think it's important to understand the environment and influences that went in or that go into making us who we are as people. And then what we do to overcome some things that, that were outside of our control, but no single component really defines us by itself. And I think you touched on that last time about, yes, I was an expat or yes, you quit drinking and uh, whatever the thing may be for each specific person, but that, that alone doesn't define me, which I think we're going to explore a little bit today to, to sort of show, you know, all these compounding, events and experiences and influences that that they all shape you in some way and then how you respond to them further shapes you even even beyond that so anyway just just sort of a thought about getting started yeah that is a good point and i think that we touched on this yesterday so it's probably important for for other folks to hear it you know we had talked about when you know somebody throughout their life and, and you've been able to see the sequencing of those events i know what that looks like but if i met you today and all i heard was hey, teen doesn't drink, that might be the one thing I focus on and think that it's like the most important thing that was the catalyst for so many other experiences or decisions in his life. And I know that is this small incremental thing 
or decision that you took when you were already far down this path of self-growth. So I also feel like, yeah. you know, the, the important part of this is to understand just that journey and the sequencing that took place, which is also really important. And what yeah. you were thinking and, hey, this really challenged me back when I was a child, but I worked through it maybe in this way. And yeah, so I think the sequencing is important as well, which is also why I feel like this episode will be good. So Yeah. So for me, I mean, I don't know how to define normal, but I guess by most definitions, my childhood was was viewed as fairly normal. Um, I had I had a really good and healthy family situation. My parents always super supportive. My siblings, normal sibling stuff, but ultimately, uh, ultimately super supportive. Uh, even even in childhood, you know, we my brother and I played soccer, and my sister would hop in the van and would go out of town to a soccer tournament, and everybody would be there. My sister got into cheerleading and would hop in the van and go out of town to a cheerleading competition, which is not the most exhilarating event to go to as a 10 year old boy or whatever, you know, it's like the last thing you want to do. But I think it just, my parents created that environment and culture and belief in us of just like support of each other. And so I think that was just a really, a really important component for me going forward. Um, one thing that was a little bit, I guess, unique about me, I had asthma at a real young age. I think I was diagnosed with it when I was maybe two or three. And I was also allergic to everything under the sun. <laughs> and so, it, it, you know, we had to pick and choose where we could go, when we could be there. We had to cut vacation short or uh, go to the hospital in the middle of the night sometimes if I were having a breathing uh, asthma attack. And I mean, again, my family was awesome. Everybody was supportive. But I think in my eyes as a kid, that made me feel different. And I think so many kids go through this and we try to just sweep it under the rug and say, like, just suck it up. And I, and it's not a competition. I'm not saying mine's worse than anybody's or it doesn't really matter where you fall on the scale. It matters that things are going on in your life and you have to figure out how to handle them. Uh, and because early on, you know, I had a support system of my family, but you're still a young man and you're just figuring all this stuff out, figuring all this stuff out, I think. So when it came to sports, like all I wanted to do as a kid was play sports. When you have asthma as a kid, it makes it a little bit difficult a lot of times, especially outdoor sports. I was allergic to every kind of grass ever created. So I want to play soccer. I want to play baseball. Basketball was my thing. That was a little bit better because we could at least be inside of a gym. But in a lot of gyms, I'd be allergic to dust mites. That's in a specific, it, that, like, it didn't matter what it was. I was affected by whatever we did. But I also applaud my parents in a big way for recognizing how passionate I was and how much that's what I wanted to do, or that's what made me happy. Like they could just see it. If I were playing in a wreck basketball game at eight years old, like, man, yes, he has to go through some breathing crap to get here, but at least we get to see him in this moment. But yeah, being able to do that stuff was awesome. Uh, but, but it also gave me a crutch a lot of times. Think about maybe specifically in soccer, we're out there running laps. At any moment, I could play the asthma card. I hate to admit that, but I could at, at pretty much any time. So with coaches, it was something, it was a conversation my parents had with coaches before the season. Hey, Nicholas has asthma. So if X, Y, and Z happen, then he needs to step away. And so I guess what I'm saying is it gave me an excuse. And, and I hate that, but I, I carried that with me for a long time. It, it sort of carried over into other parts of my life. 
I, I was really afraid and, and nervous as a kid. I think I, I felt like that I didn't really always quite fit in. And maybe some of it came from, from that. And, and not that my parents sat down and told me you're different, but just kind of seeing the interactions with other people, like, well, they can go do this. Well, you hang back because of this. And, and so I think I was always just like, felt like I was just outside of the circle a little bit. And, and yeah, I guess, I guess that was difficult to go through that. And it just, I, I think it, it sort of dictated the way that I've interacted with people over time and made decisions over time. Yeah. That was one I, I, I had forgotten about, to be honest. I knew that when you mentioned it now with both, I remember the allergy stuff cause that kind of popped up fairly recently, but the, the asthma one was ne- one I never thought about. And also met you later in life where maybe you're more, you're, you're okay with being different or standing out. Yeah. I didn't ever think about how that would have affected you during your childhood. Cause you know, when you get older yeah. and you're like, Hey, I've got asthma. It's no big deal. You're, you're more comfortable with who you are and being different. But when you're younger and you stand out every single time, I just never put that. I never thought about how standing out and being different would be a, a, a big challenge when you're younger. So. Yeah. yeah no, that that's myself. a great point because it's very important to me today to not be like everybody else, you know, uh, and, and that didn't come without a lot exactly. of work. And I would also like, in addition to the asthma allergies, <laughs> some of my friends from, from childhood still joke with me a lot today about how often I would throw up. I mean, I could vomit at the drop of a hat <laughs> as crazy as that is. Like I could do it on command. It wasn't always, like that. I mean, I, I honestly did just get sick a lot. I mean, at dinner, I would, my parents would take me to the bathroom, I'd throw up and would come back down and sit down and finish dinner. Like it was, you know, people would say, I can't believe y'all have this kid out here right now. And they're like, this is, this is normal. If we weren't out here now, we'd never be out because yeah. it just, it could happen at, at any time. It's kind of weird. But I also use that as a crutch. I'm thinking of one specific time, the first real like spend the night party I remember, my parents dropped me off at this person's house we were in probably second or third grade i'm not sure and they they said stay at their house and don't go anywhere call us if you need us well later in the night all the kids were like man we're gonna go run around the block and we're gonna knock on all these people's doors and they're gonna come to the door and we're gonna hide in the bushes and regular little kid stuff and I just panicked. I was like, my parents told me that I got to stay at this house and I didn't want to do the wrong thing. So I just walked outside and threw up right in front of everybody, like intentionally. And so they're like, oh my gosh, Nicholas is sick. So their parents called my parents. They came and picked me up. It sounds kind of ridiculous, like reliving it a little bit, but it's just funny that I always had like this little thing in my back pocket that I could pull out at any time when I was in an uncomfortable situation, mm-hmm. I would just play that card and and get out of the situation, but always based out of just like fear. I'm excited to hear you say that because I know that that's going to come about later in other ways of, of things that you're going to talk about. And, and it's a key piece that I guess I didn't really know that much about until you just mentioned it now, but I'm super excited as you tell your story. Um, I think that's probably going to present some challenges that you have to ever overcome as an adult. That's super interesting. One thing we talked about yesterday was probably interesting for you to touch on if you're done kind of touching on that piece was just, you know, we talk a lot about parents and siblings and birth order and and things like that. I know you probably got some stuff like that. That's probably important for other folks to know. So, yeah. Yeah. Something else that I certainly didn't know anything about as a child was birth order, but I have later in life, I've, I've looked into a lot. I'm a middle child 
I'm a middle child in every single way. If you Google birth order right now and what traits do middle children have, I, I pretty much fit the template. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm the middle of three. I have an older brother, a younger sister. So like the worst of worst for middle children. So I wasn't the first born or the first of a gender. So my brother was, they already had a boy and then they got me like, we've already done this before. And then finally they got a girl and that's awesome because we hadn't had a girl yet. And so whether I could understand that, you know, in my childhood or not, I think that I felt the effects of it from, and it's weird because when I say it, it's, it sounds like a negative thing. And in hindsight, I did a lot of it to myself and it also came with a lot of benefits. And it's weird because with the, with the asthma and the sick stuff, I got more attention than my other two siblings combined without question. It was like, okay, we got to go deal with another one of his episodes, but I certainly didn't see it like that. I, I was still being a middle child about it. And it's like, yeah, the, the woe is me sort of thing. And I think that that, that maybe developed like this chip on the shoulder attitude like I, I needed and demanded a lot of attention and got a lot of attention, but somehow manipulated in my mind, I felt like it wasn't the attention that I wanted or needed or, and I'm not just talking about even from my parents, just in general, as I got older into adolescence and middle school, you want different kinds of attention in high school. It's weird because I think, I don't know this, but I think if you ask friends of mine from that time period, I think that their perception of me and maybe how I saw myself would be very different than how I saw my own self. Like I was, I always felt like I craved and needed this attention and acceptance and felt like I didn't always really fit in. And, and I don't think that that's how people would necessarily describe me through a lot of those years. And even later it carried on for a long time in my life. And I think that, yeah, I was just, I was craving it so much that, that, that I felt like I always have to put on this face in front of everybody else. And like, I've got to present this version of teen or Nicholas. It was still Nicholas at that age <laughs> in middle school and high school. There wasn't a teen yet, but I felt like I had to put on this face and present this version of me so that people would enjoy it or accept it. And then, yeah, fast forward way later, that just becomes that, that compounded over and over and over again, because then there's this expe expectation to be this version of me. And it's, it's okay when everything's, well and good and you're healthy. Um, it's not okay when other stuff starts to happen in your life and you start to face some personal challenges. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I do. You, you touched on something. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, you're taking me back to a conversation we had like 10 years ago and you had said you felt like there was like two or three almost like personas of who you were, right? And it was like, I had to be I had to be teen to these people who I grew up with. And I guess the thing that maybe I didn't know as much about that you just touched on was that if you created teen and teen was just somebody that everybody else liked, but you weren't comfortable with yourself because that wasn't who you are, but that was the expectation in your mind that you had to live up to. I can imagine that would be incredibly difficult to have to continually put this face on that wasn't yours. You know, that's what I just, it kind of got me goosebumps saying that because yeah. I, I remember this conversation like 10 years ago, but yeah, I can imagine that would be really tough. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it feels like work when other people don't recognize the difficulty of of the work. I don't know if that makes sense, but it it takes so much energy <laughs> to try to be somebody you're not. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a big statement and this could apply across the board, but it takes it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot out of you to to try to portray 
somebody you're not. And I thought that I was doing it for the right reason. I thought that I was doing it for the good of me to be accepted, but also the good of everybody else because they're getting the quote unquote best version of me. And so I can't be sad. I can't be uncomfortable. I can't be afraid. I can't certainly can't be depressed, you know? <clears throat> and so then as it compounds, depression builds, and then that becomes a bigger and bigger part of who I am. And it's more difficult to not show that to other people, mm. but to kind of wrap up the adolescent and young part, I do have an older brother. He's 15 months older than me. And as a lot of younger brothers do, I looked up to him in a major way. I, I think you, you know, you don't even realize that a lot of times, but I watched and listened to everything he did and said, and I uh, wanted to be like him. You know, I've, I've gotten some validation later in life. He and I have had some great conversations about, in, in, in my mind, it was a one-way thing. It was, I'm not quite as good at, at, as him at anything. And so I want to be a better basketball player of whatever it was that came up. He just, he was better in school. He was a better athlete. Um, it just seemed like he was better with the ladies. <laughs> it, it didn't matter what it was. I was like, dang, what, when am I going to graduate to his level kind of thing? But later in life, we've had some awesome conversations that it, there were some things that, that went both ways that he saw in me that, you know, he saw his deficiencies in himself. And so that was really cool later, but, but also just with the, as a middle child with an older brother, looking up to him, wanting to do things like that, it still creates this idea in me that I'm not good enough. And again, that's not anything that he did. It's, it's something that, that I think I did to myself. And, and in some ways that motivates me, that's inspired me. It's, it's made me more ambitious and more driven. I think early on, it probably wasn't always in a healthy way, but we don't get the liberty to do everything right the first time and understand everything before we really grow and uh, develop. So in a lot of ways, in a weird way, I'm thankful for that because it certainly did help shape the person that I am without question. Um, I know you're a middle child as well. I don't want to dive into it with you, but, but I'm, I'm sure that you, sure that you understand you're shaking your head. I'm sure that you understand just that idea. And yeah, so I think in a lot of ways that a lot of those things together gave me this like chip on the shoulder. I have a lot to prove and, and I want to be the underdog. I want you to sell me short because I want to show up and prove that, that that's not the case. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was shaking my head both about the middle child stuff and some of the things that you were saying. My experience was different. And we'll get into that later. Uh, some of them I can really relate to other things, maybe not so much. But I was also shaking my head because you touched on something that I think really resonates with me. Um, and I don't think that everybody gets how you just mentioned you were like, these were a lot of really real challenges for you, whether it was stuff that was normal for middle children to go through or maybe were unique to your situation whichever one of those two it was, it was still very difficult for you growing up. And I think that knowing you now, and you'll tell this later, and to see how that kind of propelled you forward and became a springboard in my mind for you to get where you're at now, which I think is in this awesome position. I think some people would look back, maybe if you're hearing this conversation and think, well, man, what, what could have been done to change that? That sort of thing. It's like, well, hang on. We don't want to change it. Yeah, I think it was a, ended up being a great thing, right? We talked a lot about, uh, maybe not in the podcast yet, about maybe how some of the 
the trying experiences that you went through are proportionate to the growth that you see later. Yeah. Right. But you can't see it at the time you're going through it. And I know we feel the same way. So I just wanted to throw that in there yeah. that this is going to be this is super key in order to understand where you're at now. And I don't, and I know you feel the same way. Don't want anybody out there to think like, Oh man, that's really tough. I wish somebody would have come in and just saved you from this. Yeah. It, it makes you think how difficult it has to be to be a parent. I, I'm not a parent. So um, a lot of my friends are now, and I love being able to watch them go through this. And both my siblings are as well, but man, how difficult it has to be to be a parent because I'm thinking about my parents realizing some of the things that, that maybe were going on in my mind that they weren't aware of. And then other stuff that they were aware of. And, and because they would fit in the camp of people that are like, I wish we could have changed that and made him happy because as a parent, that's what you want. Um, But standing here today, or sitting here today, then yes, I would say I'm glad we didn't change any of it because on some twisted ass road that we walked upon, we got here and it, yeah, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, I, lo- I love different sayings and expressions and the one man, it's just coming to me. I, I think I told you this before I heard one and I was like, wow, that is so true. It says that the pebble that you remove from a child's path becomes a boulder later on in yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't overcome these things as a child, then it's like because you're super independent now, you do a lot of things on your own and stuff. You're coddled by your parents and like, you know, don't ever over- overcome some of these things. Then it's, well, are you the guy that can't be away from your mom and dad when you're 40? And I, I don't mean that in any judgmental way, but all, of all the things you've done now, I think about if they were just there holding your hand the whole time and maybe didn't force you to get through some of it on your own, then you wouldn't have been able to kind of mm-hmm. go out and experience the world in the way that you have. So for sure. And yeah, I, I think uh, to sort of redirect into a different, the next really like stage, I guess, in my life would would be college years. I mean, I'll say towards the end of high school, I was very, I didn't want to go to college. The expectation where I grew up and the culture I grew up in was that you go to college. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I was pretty vocal about it. I still believe today college is not for everybody. I'm also thankful that I went. It was an incredible experience, even though I didn't really take it seriously for a long time. I'm actually back in college right now as a 40 year old person. So my view on college has changed drastically uh, in the 20 years since I was there originally in undergrad. But I think just having this idea of like resistance in some way and okay, everybody's doing it that way. Well, I want to do it different. Um, So I guess I started to kind of develop that as a defense mechanism, maybe a little bit feeling like I didn't ever fit in or something. But I didn't want to go to college, but I went to college and I did poorly. It was a terrible experiment. I got the life scholarship in South Carolina, which is guaranteed for a year. And anyway, they give you money based on things in high school, which is kind of a joke because I didn't really take high school that seriously uh, academically. But I lost the life scholarship after a semester, even though it was guaranteed for a year, because I think I got a point eight. I want to think I had three D's and an F. No, that's actually really impressive. (laughs) So you make a joke out of this. (laughs) I mean, that's an impressive level. I like how you do it out there. It's guaranteed per year. I only got it first. Yeah, I used to always leave it out. You know, the life scholarship, (laughs) the one that you have to have for, that you get for a year no matter what. Yes, that one. And they took it away after a semester. I had three D's and an F. And one of those classes was theater. Like, I wasn't taking, you know, med school prep curriculum by any stretch. But yeah, I think that it was almost my way to to say that I didn't want to be there hmm. in some ways. And I never really took it seriously. And 
Yeah, it was college was interesting. I went to four different schools in five years. Um, I did over the time in college sort of get my stuff together. Like a lot of people, I mean, this isn't a unique story. I, I went to college, I drank a bunch. I wanted to hang out with my friends. I went to the student center and played basketball and did, did those sort of things that I think a lot of students do, but I never really felt like I had any direction. I never really felt like I had much value. I think like I was kind of just in the mix of people and from the not fitting in, I think that that really played a huge role in college because, and, and my parents would later tell me in life, and even in high school, I think they would tell me like, I have the, the largest fear of missing out out of anybody that I've ever met. I want to be everywhere for every person, every time, for everything. And that's always, that still is a challenge for me. I've had to learn how to say no in a, in a major way, but that was especially in college when I didn't feel like I held much value myself or I didn't see any value in myself that I was going to do. I was easily influenced. I would do anything with anybody all the time because I had zero confidence in myself. Um, that's how I perceived it, regardless of how anyone else perceived it. And so if somebody wanted to go out on Monday night, I went out on Monday night. If somebody wanted to have breakfast beers on Tuesday, I had breakfast beers on Tuesday sometimes. And I mean, I don't want to say it like I drank every single day or anything, but I was just, I was easily influenced. And, and if, if someone that I wanted to show me attention, and I don't even mean in a romantic way, I just mean, I, I just craved this acceptance, then, then I was there every time. And I think that that, that sort of sent me down a road that wasn't, wasn't the best. Um, it started just created habitual behavior and, and then it, then it just becomes habit. And, and it was, that probably lasted for the next 10 years of my life, honestly, eight years of my life due, due to that cultivated belief that I don't belong here. And that was sort of college in a nutshell. And then towards the end of college, uh, I did graduate. I, I got my stuff together. I made the Dean's list my last semester of college in year five and a half <laughs> that it took me to graduate with a four-year degree. Uh, I made the Dean's list at, at the very end, which was really cool because it did show that like, okay, if I sit down and focus on this, I'm capable. You know, I think maybe maybe that was the first time I really actually felt like I could achieve something because before that, I don't know that I really felt that way. But I did. Graduating from college was such a huge deal to me. I, I, the day that I graduated, my dad did hand me my phone bill and my insurance bill and a couple of things like that. Basically said, welcome to adulthood. But we had a moment where we both cried because Neither one of us thought I was ever going to walk across that stage for a long. I mean, we were probably both at different times, very, very certain yeah. that I was never going to walk across that stage. So it was I wanted to acknowledge it as a huge accomplishment, not just because I can pass the test of the curriculum given, but because I passed a lot more tests than that to get to get there. I do. I think it's funny that uh, I, I do love that as, as just a side note and trying to insert some level of humor in here um, on a very serious topic. I love that, you you know, even even for you, it's like we're all told you should go to college and do this and you get done. And you're like, this is a great accomplishment. What awaits me out there in life? It's like, <laughs> here's all the shit I've been paying for. Here's a bunch yeah. of responsibility. Here's a, you know, what you think is a lot of money at the time. You're like, here, now you're making thirty five thousand dollars a year. You're like, damn, this is it. Yeah. This is everything that everybody told me 
what I should do, which actually is a great segue to other things later that we probably yeah. don't want to get into right now that you might touch on later in this conversation. But I just think it's funny that, you know, you do, you're like, I finally did it. I did everything that everybody told me to do. Like what awaits me on the other side? A shit ton of bills. Yeah. Like, wait, hold on. This you got to rent your own apartment. You <laughs> yeah. Pay for your car. Yeah. Um, that's, that's awesome. I, I appreciate you touching on that. If you got anything else, throw in the college piece. If not, I'm curious as you, you know, we've touched a lot on your upbringing. That was super insightful for me too, by the way, you, you got a lot of stuff running through my mind. Just, I didn't even know about you and how you grew up and things. You go to college, maybe kind of continuing down that path of, well, this is what I was told I was supposed to do. And honestly fighting against that, but also it sounds to me like if I heard you right, you're forced down a path that you didn't want to be. So it's like, well, I'm going to show you, I don't want to be here. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it in this terrible way yeah. while simultaneously going through it and constantly trying to please other people, which I would imagine got you further away from who you really were and not discovering that, which is also a challenge. So now you're graduating college. Now you're going down probably the conventional path again. I'm, now I'm entering the real world. Hey, what is this? What does the world tell me? What does society tell me I need to do for work? Yeah. At least that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Like, What's that next step? You get yeah. a job, you know what I mean? Like that next Did, chapter. Yeah, graduated in five and a half years. Um, got a job with a family friend. Um, still, still didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Still slightly unsure as I sit here today in some ways, but, <laughs> but probably much more comfortable with who much you are. Much more comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. The lens through which I see it is yeah. very different <laughs> than it was at the stage we're talking about. But yeah, I started working um, and, and I sort of wanted to to build this whole, like set this whole stage with things that, that I was thinking or how I was feeling that specifically had to do with, with me as an individual and not me in a relationship. Because I think that the personal part is, is so much more important. And I think that eventually that got lost a little bit when I started to go through some serious struggles. Um, but now I'll touch on a relationship I was in towards the end of college. I did, I got a job did the did the thing went to work for a large company um the goal is to just work your ass off and see how fast you can move up to the next rung on the ladder and so created this like corporate mindset of achievement and what success means professionally but then also i was in a pretty serious relationship towards the end of college in the first several years after college i bought a house with the intention that 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 was going to be our house uh, yeah most of the decisions that i made at that time were based around the relationship and us moving forward as a unit instead of, you know, all the decisions based on myself. But I think when I got into this relationship, it was, it was the first really serious relationship, I guess, that I had been in. I had been in a fairly serious end of high school relationship uh, where I thought I really knew what love meant and all of that and not to get all sappy in this, but, but this, this relationship towards the end of college was, was different. And I knew that, but I think that I felt accepted. I felt heard all the things that you want to be validated. Uh, I think I got those things out of this relationship. And so, yes, I care deeply about the person for sure, but also just like, I finally got all of these feelings of acceptance that I think that I craved um, along and along throughout my life. So anyway, um, I think I just felt safe and secure. It's funny. I hear women say that a lot with men, like he made me feel safe and secure. I don't hear men 
often say that with women, but I hope that other men feel like that because that was a really important feeling to me. Like I, just, I didn't only want her to be attractive or only want her to be a pharmacist and also make good money and, uh, you know, whatever things are important at that time in life. But for me, the, the major important pieces were that I, I felt like that I was, I was comfortable and safe anyway. And so that was really important to me, but the relationship didn't ultimately end in happily ever after our marriage. We split up towards the end. We, we had a little on again, off again. It was ironically enough, she's also a middle child. So we, we have some similarities with that too, but it was, it was like, we both wanted to be there for each other. We sort of knew that ultimately we weren't going to end up together, but we had such a deep connection with one another that we wanted to, we wanted to help and be there. That's sort of in our nature. And, and that was a very unhealthy thing at the time because my feelings were, were strong at times. Her feelings were strong at times and it didn't ultimately line up. So it became very unhealthy in both of our lives, really. And so I drank a lot more, I exercised none, I stayed at home a lot more. Um, I just, I didn't handle it well. I felt like when I talked about it to people, they didn't want to hear it, which I understand in hindsight, it was the only thing that was on my mind. Every breath I was thinking about, I, I, I can't go on without this relationship. And, you know, ultimately your buddies are like, dude, get over it and have a beer and let's just, let's go out tonight. Like there's other people out there. The pool's pretty big when you're 23, 24 years old, there's still a humongous pool of people out there. But I, I, I took that real hard. And yes, I thought that it was solely about this person. And I don't want to minimize the impact she had on me because she did have a, a large impact on me. But but ultimately, it wasn't all about her. It was all about the way that I saw myself and the way that I needed to change the way that I saw myself. And yes, it, a lot of thoughts are floating around in my mind right now because I don't talk about this all the time. I'm certainly comfortable talking about it. But when you when you breach a topic like this, you know, you start to think a, a lot of emotions and thoughts come back, which is which is a good thing. I mean, I think it's healthy to talk about when her and I broke up for good. I guess the the closure was that she got engaged. <laughs> uh, I don't want to go into a lot of details about her or me or whatever, because that's not important. And I, I want to be fair to the other person. Uh, but that gave me some closure when she got engaged. But by that time, I didn't realize how far down in the hole that I had gotten because it, because my whole focus was like, get her back, get her back. No, she's supposed to be with me. I'm supposed to be with her. And it was very, very basic. I think in hindsight, like that, that was what I thought the only thing was, but really I had just every aspect of my life had gone down. I wasn't really focusing at work. I was coming home at lunch and taking a nap every day, which I'll say sometimes I still do. And I'm an advocate of napping, <laughs> but I think it, it, that's neither here nor there. But, but at that time it was just like, how can I, how can I escape from this, this feeling? I, I wasn't at work all the time. And when I was there, sometimes I wasn't there. If you know what I'm saying, I, I just, I was out of it. Um, my friendships went downhill. My relationships with my family went downhill. I, I wasn't being a good son, brother, friend. And, and that just compounded the weight, you know, that I, that I put on myself because then I'm just pissed off because I'm not being good at all those things. And I'm not being good at all those things because I'm pissed off that I'm not with this girl and I'm not with this girl because I can't get any of my shit together. And like, I'm never going to be good enough for anybody. And it's just like snowball, snowball. So anyway, I had a roommate at the time. Um, she was in Columbia getting a graduate degree 
and man, I, I, it's weird how people come in your lives at different times, but for, for a two or three year stretch, if she wasn't there, I don't know that, I don't know how I would have gotten through it, but I remember kind of talking to her and just going through this whole process. And I just broke down and cried my eyes out for probably two or three hours to my roommate and was like, this is where I am. I have to say something to somebody. This girl and I just broke up. She's the only person that I ever share anything with. She's the only person that really, I feel like knows me for me instead of the face that I put on for everybody else. Like she gets the raw stuff. And like, I just, I have to share this. Like I'm, I'm depressed. I'm upset all the time. I, I constantly think about suicide. I just can't get over it. And some days I can't get out of bed, um, which is crazy. I and mean, we were talking about earlier, uh, you put on that face for everybody and it's fine until it's not fine, until it really becomes that debil debilitating. I'm trying not to tell anyone at work what I'm going through, but I can't even get out of my bed and get my clothes on and get to work. I would show up to work and sometimes my shirt would be so wrinkled and like it would just wadded up in the floor. But like, and people would see me at work and say, dude, get your shit together, put on a clean iron shirt. And I'm sitting there thinking, you have no idea what, what it took for me to walk in this door today. It's crazy. Like we just don't ever know what yeah. somebody else is going through. And again, I'm not trying to put mine above anybody else's story because I think it's a common story. We deal with stuff all the time and we bottle it up and we don't talk about it and, and work through it and help each other work through it. But that was just a real rough time. I don't want to go too deep down that hole because I know we're going to dive into that probably several other times later down the road in this podcast. But that was obviously a very defining time period in my life. So my roommate and I talked about it. She, Her family was from the same hometown I was from. So I didn't know her as well growing up because she was a bit younger than me. But we had a good familiarity because we were family friends and I knew her parents and my sister and her were close to the same age. So there was some familiarity. Anyway, her and I got very close and I sort of spilled my guts to her. And, and I really appreciate her. She, she told me that she wanted to make me do two things. She wanted for me to send an email to several people in my life that, that were close to me. My brother was one and several of my friends that were my age, um, friends from back home. And I think there were maybe six or seven people on there. She was like, other people need to know what you're going through. And it's crazy because it seems obvious, like, hey, we're your friends. We care about you. We want to help. But every day I was waking up trying as hard as I could to not let anybody else see any of this stuff that was going on. So I, I remember I constructed the email myself and I was doing it in my own way. And I like sort of made it into a joke because I didn't know how to deliver this heavy message. Yeah. To, like I'm already not doing it in person. So I'm already copping out a little bit by, you know, doing an email. Right. But I, you know, I wrote it and she was like, that's not going to cut it. And she, she sort of rewrote a little bit or made me rewrite. Like, you need to get across the, oh, the point that this is serious and this is how you feel. You're going through these things. This is not a joke, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't know how to handle it. So I was just trying to, to do something. And the other thing that she made me do was go tell my parents. And when you're 27, 28 years old, you know, I thought like I'm a grown up. I'm in the professional world. I'm. I own my own house. I bought my own house when I was 25 years old. Thought it was going to be my partner and I's house. But yeah, looking back on it, I had no business owning a house at 25. But anyway, I'm, I'm thinking all of those things. And she's like, you have to tell your parents. You know what? I wanted to protect my parents in some way, I think. Um, I didn't want them to be disappointed, but also I didn't want them to be upset. Parents worry by nature. I think my mom trumps other parents in that regard, too. She is a worrier. So I did. She put me in her car and we drove 
to my hometown and I called my mom on the way and said, look, I need to, I need to talk to y'all about something. And my roommate dropped me off and left me there by myself with my parents. And she went somewhere else. My sister happened to be in town at the same time. So the four of us, my sister, my mom, and my dad, we sat down in their den and um, hashed it out. I told them I, I constantly think about killing myself and ending my life. And um, whew, I, get, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was, a, I mean, it's just a wild day. But as soon as I got done this, like, they just stared at me for a while, you know, and I'm just talking. I'm looking at the floor kind of like I'm doing now and just like saying whatever's coming to my mind. And like, man, I just let it rip. Like, I just these are all the things that, that I've been trying to hide from everybody, mostly y'all. And I let them all out. And, uh, and it was, it was amazing because immediately I was just like, feels pretty damn good. <laughs> it's crazy to, to think that, uh, I've been holding all this in and trying, you know, because I want to be normal and regular and I want to, I want people to view me in this way, whatever this way is. And, and man, I'm, I'm coming apart at the freaking seams and uh, nobody knows it. But anyway, it was, it was incredible. They go ahead. You. No, I just, I, I was waiting on Cause that was such a, yeah. I just feel like what you just said is so powerful and I feel like, and I wanted to let you run through all that because it was so important. And I think a lot of people go through things like that. And, and I think the other layer to it that you kind of touched on, but I think it's worth calling attention to is which again is one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this and put ourselves out there it's just like well team you're a guy just suck it up man and get through it you know yeah. and i think that's like the worst advice ever right like yeah we're human beings we're guys it does it's not a sign of weakness to do that put yourself out there and being i don't know vulnerable or discussing your feelings this isn't a weak thing right I, to me it's like the opposite of that yeah like showing that like hey i need help we all need help as human beings these people care about you be willing to put that information out there. I just feel like no matter who you are at some point in your life, like in your situation, we've had um, a lot of depth and it was deep and heavy for you. And maybe some people don't have that level of challenges, but no matter who you are, like you need somebody in your life who you can confide in. And I feel like as guys, sometimes, I mean, even for me, I feel like I have really good support system and things like that. And I know you feel the same way. It doesn't come naturally. I do think in general for women, it's more accepted to do that. So it was just something else that I wanted. I don't want to uh, detract yeah. from your situation, but I know we feel the same way. And I think it's important to call attention to that, that this wasn't just you with all your prior experiences. There's that other level of like kind of societal pressure to suck it up as a guy that I feel like is important to call attention to. Yeah. Yeah. We're all human, man. And, and uh, yeah, historically, I think that we, we address things like that differently as men or, or as women and yeah we're all we're all human we all need that for sure um, and i know that got real wordy but yeah it's, when you start rehashing a situation like that you just sort of go to this place man i love and, it uh, yeah. yeah you're taking me down this path that i knew bits and pieces of and i appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing it because that's like some deep stuff yeah no i appreciate it i mean i don't, I don't want to cut this short for the sake of time but i also don't want to just uh because i know we're going to get into I'm, I'm more than happy to dive into this subject right ad nauseum because I think it's important as something that I live. And if it, if it ever is beneficial to share, then I want to share. Mm. It's not something that I talk about very often because I don't, I don't just go around talking about it because it, I don't want to celebrate me because I went through it or whatever. I, but, but if it's valuable, I certainly want to share it. So I know that we're going to get into that further down the road. So, but it was an important part of, 
who I am and what got me where I am today. All right, we're going to stop right there for this episode. Very heavy topic, a lot to digest. Be on the lookout for part two of this conversation with Tina and I, where we explore you know, where he went after addressing some of these suicidal thoughts and things like that. Um, Tina, I would just say I appreciate you being vulnerable. I know it's not always easy to talk about certain things like this. But yeah, you, to our viewers out there, turn, tune in to, to part two, where Tina kind of talks about where he went from here, you know, coming in one of the, the more difficult times of his life and how he kind of climbed out of this.